So, uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but uh, I'm kind of a germaphobe. I really don't like being gross or messy or like, especially my hands. I don't like my hands getting dirty with something, which is kind of ironic because uh, I also like, uh, I used to paint and I like building things and I like working with my hands a lot. So, I always have like a bottle of hand sanitizer and you know, I'll like say hi to people like, hey, how's it going? How's it going? And I'll just throw a high fives. It's a big part of my job, I'll throw out high fives. And then what the kids don't realize is that the moment that's done is I walk back to my backpack and I, you know, and I just do that, right? You know, uh, but the, the irony of this is that I also love and invest a lot in this activity called uh, the Tough Mudder, which is uh, uh, basically it's a 10 mile race that you're covered in mud the almost the entire time. And um, it's like, ten, it's like a, a giant adult obstacle course. Uh, literally, I mean, it's Joseph, you were there, I remember, and my friend Jojo, shout out. Um, so basically, uh, you, I mean, it's, it's 10 miles, 22 obstacles, and you're just like covered in mud, like climbing over things and running over. And the entire time, uh, you're just like just head to toe, right? And at the end of it, they have like these little, this hose off area, and you're hosing mud out of places for weeks afterwards. Like, it's just like, you know, you're, it's just everywhere and all over the place, right? And, um, but here's what's funny about the Tough Mudder, right? If, or for me, is the moment, like, as long as I can stay clean, I, like, work really, really hard to do that. But the moment I'm a little bit dirty, then it's like, all right, well, might as well, I'm all in, right? Uh, and so, you know, I'll, I'll be like wearing my favorite pants and my favorite shirt, whatever, and I'll be like, oh, I can't get anything dirty, like whatever. And I'll go to the wood shop and I'll get like a little bit of glue on my hands and I'm like, all right, whatever. And then I was just yeah, sawing things and like breaking holes in my pants. And this is why I can't have any nice things. Uh, but basically, the reason I tell you about the Tough Mudder is when you start the Tough Mudder, the first thing you, you meet, you know, they have this guy that comes in there and gives you like this, like, you know, this hurrah speech. It's really, really fun. If you want to go you know, next year, I'll go with you. Um, and, uh, and when you start, like maybe like 20 feet into the race, there's just a, just a big pile of mud. I mean, it's just a big pit of mud. So starting off, you just kind of have to get like completely covered. Uh, and and it's kind of fun for me. I, I, I was grateful for that because then, if not, I've been like running like all finicky and like trying to. And it's like, all right, I'm in. I'm muddy. So this is it. This is what it's going to be. Let's go, right? And then it's not. And then I'm not worried about uh, getting muddy or anything like that. And so here's my point. Uh, the race, the tough mudder race, is, is dirty. And it's impossible to get through that without just getting into the mix of it, and into the mess, into the mud. And the reality is that life is muddy and messy and dirty. And as Christians, we're not called to be finicky and try to avoid it and try to stick out. We're called to be in the mix. We're called to be in the middle of it. Uh, this author named Josh Reebok, he always writes, when he signs autograph, he, write, he writes, run to the mess. And that's what we're called to be as Christians. We're called to be in the mess. But there is a distinction, right? Uh, John, um, John 17, verse 15 says this, and this was Jesus praying for all believers uh, right before he, was, um, he went to be crucified. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your word. Sorry, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. 
And so this is the heart of uh, incarnational witness, is, is going into that place, that space, and inhabiting that space in that place. And that's what Jesus did. He didn't want to be separated in a way, but he wanted to be in the middle of it all with his creation, with his people. And he calls us not to be uh, separated. We're not called to, to create these little Christian communities that, that exist outside of life and culture, but we're called to be in the middle. We are sent, right? As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We are being sent into our world, into the spaces uh, of our world, right? But the distinction is this, right? We're called to be sanctified in that process. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. Now, uh, what holy means is set apart for specific or special purposes. It's like that that special mug that you only use on game day, right? It's like special for that. Like you you can't, you know, use that for everyday use. That's like the, you know, that special tray that you can only use during Christmas, right? To serve the little whatever you serve on Christmas. But, um... Uh, right? But uh, so there's, there's this dual part of this, right? Is one is that we're called to be in the world, in the mix, but also to be sanctified while we're there. Now, let me be very careful to not use the word separated. And if I do, correct me, because we're not supposed to be separated, but we're supposed to be distinct. Uh, and at the beginning of this, right, we went through the series of, of uh, we went through the series of, of the making of a people, right? God chose for Himself a people, and He and He called them out to be His chosen people. And the distinction, there's a lot of uh, emphasis put on these laws of purity because the distinction was supposed to be this external uh, life and, and way of living that was supposed to be completely distinct. That, that distinction from them and other nations was supposed to be this external, uh, 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 these laws and, and the circumcision, right? And it was all external, right? In Christ, then Jesus transforms and he changes this. That our distinction is no longer supposed to be on this external presentation, but it's supposed to be in the internal circumcision of our heart. Galatians 5, it is not circumcision, but circumcision of the heart that matters. And so what's changed is what's supposed to differentiate us, believers, Christians, Christianity, from the world is not our separation from it, but being in it and distinct. And that distinction has to be in how we love. They will know that you are my disciples by your love. Now, when I say love, it's very, we, we often can, that word is very, we all have different definitions of that word. We use it in, in, in different contexts, right? And especially our society uses it in very specific contexts, right? And, and that can be very uh, convoluted and, 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 and a lot of questions about it, right? So the Bible gives us this great definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not rude or self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. 
And so as Christians, if we're called into that to be distinct by our love, then we should be able to say, a Christian is patient. A Christian is kind. A Christian does not envy. They are not rude. They are not self-seeking. They do not boast. They are not easily angered. They keep no record of wrong. Christians don't delight in evil, but rejoice in the truth. Christians always protect, always trust, always hope. Christians always persevere. Christians always never fail. And I think the quietness in the room is, is expressive of the realization that that is not what Christians are typically known for in our, in our day and in our culture. And that, I think that saddens God very deeply because that's what we're called to be, right? We are called to be in the mess, in the mix, and in that to bring with us shalom, to bring with us Shalom. What is shalom? Shalom means peace, but it's more than peace. It is, uh, shalom is, it, it's, it means harmony, peace, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, safety. It means tranquility. It is way deeper than just things being peaceful. And our calling is as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus who are allowing the word to sanctify us, right? That truth to sanctify us is to then step into that mix, to be in that mess, and to bring shalom wherever we go. Whether that's on my building, whether that's on the subway, whether that's in my office or my job, or the school, in the hallways, you know, with my peers, at, in the lunchroom, um, wherever we, we might be. We're called to bring that shalom. And I want to be, I want to clarify one other thing, right? Because we put categories to this. And as a Puerto Rican, I am uh, very aware of uh, the situation of colonization, right? And so, uh, we have to be very conscious and very careful that we are not, that what I'm saying is that we are not about bringing culture or changing culture, right? Because a lot of Christianity was uh, often mixed and paralleled with colonization and, and for a large, large part of the world, right? You know, uh, European conquerors would go in and conquer something and then, the, and then bring Christianity with them. But in that, it was a... a they were trying to then change culture and bring in their own colonized culture and not necessarily Christianity. And so I want us to be very conscious of that, right? Your role in bringing shalom isn't necessarily to make your neighbors not play their loud music every night, you know, till three in the morning, right? That's not what we're talking about, right? Peace and tranquility isn't not, isn't just, uh, just turn down your music. No, it's, it's about an internal change. It's about an internal love. It's not changing culture. It's, uh, it's, it's changing inside from the way that we love and, and care for people. And I, I think we need to be conscious of that. We need to be careful about that. Because um, New York is a melting pot of cultures. And, and cultures value different things. And I think that that matters and that's important. Right? Um, 
So uh, walk with me. Let's go a little bit deeper because the question then is, who is my neighbor? And as we influence our neighborhood, um, who, is, who is my neighbor? I'm glad you asked. So let's go to uh, Luke chapter 10. Um, if you brought your Bible, uh, Luke chapter 10. If not, you can look on your phone. Just don't be tempted to get on Facebook. I'm, I'm looking at you, Tony. I'm looking at you. All right. Um, Luke chapter 10. And uh, verses 25 through 27. And this is a very well-known passage. I'm sure uh, many of you will recognize it. But it says this. And Jesus is, is walking around, he's teaching and stuff. And uh, verse 25 says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. This would be a person who knows the scripture uh, and lives by the scripture, uh, maybe something closer to a lawyer uh, nowadays. So this is an intelligent person who has spent time studying their profession is to study the, uh, the Old Testament, study the law, the books of the law, study the, the word. Right? It says, teacher, what must I do to inherit life? What do I have to do in this life that will have eternal uh, consequences later on, that will have eternal dividends, that will, that will carry on to uh, the next life? What do I need to do? And Jesus answers the question with a question. What is it written in the law? He replied, not just what does it say, but how do you read it? What is your interpret interpretation of it? Like, how do you understand it? And the man answers this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, um, the, these are two verses that are, very, that are different in the Old Testament. They're not necessarily next to each other. In the New Testament, we have several places where this, these two verses are, are, are joined together, and Jesus joins them together in Matthew. But in the Old Testament, in law, these are actually not together at all. Uh, uh, love the Lord your God with all your, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. This is from Deuteronomy. This is Moses' kind of farewell address, right? Uh, and what's uh, incredible about this is it's it's a it's a heart. I'm going to use two words for this. I'm going to simplify it even more. It's a heart and a hand situation. And the and the heart is and love the Lord God with with your heart, with what's going on inside your emotion, right? Your soul and your mind. It should be our emotions, our identity, our soul, but also our mind. We're called to love God with our brains. Right? Not just shut off our brains when it comes to the God part, right? Uh, and this is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's from Leviticus 19, uh, verse 18. And what's interesting about that is that the context of that verse is, uh, it says, do not hold a grudge against your neighbor. Do not uh, plan revenge against your neighbor. Uh, and it specifically puts it in the context of your people. Um, and so often that created categories for uh, the Jewish person of who was their neighbor. And, and so then the man asks this question to justify himself. He says, and who is my neighbor? In other words, he's asking, who am I bound to? Who do I have to? Who does this apply to? And, and who's off the hook from this? Who do I need to love, and who can I exempt from this? Who am I bound to uh, in loving my neighbor? And so Jesus tells him a story to break apart his 
uh, categorization of people. And I hope that this, I hope that we could also be, uh, take some time to uh, allow this to break apart some of the categories of our own heart and mind and our own lifestyle and our own life. Uh, and we all have them. We all have them. I have them. There are deep places in my heart that there is still areas that I need the spirit to come in and, and break some of these categories of, of stereotypes, of prejudice, of what I believe about a certain person based on, on who they are or what they look like or what they smell like or whether they're clean or dirty. Um, and that's just my own confession to you, right? I, I don't have this all figured out. I'm not coming to you from a place of... I've. I have the answers. Listen to me. No. The scripture, the word is still transforming my own heart and bringing conviction to me um, as I share with you, right? And so Jesus tells this story. He tells this parable. A parable is a story that has a deeper message behind it uh, for us to, to, to pick up on, right? So Jesus said this. Uh, <clears throat> verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's about an 18-mile journey, right? So this, that's the trip. Um, and just so you know, oh, here's a fun fact. So in, uh, in Israel, uh, you never go down to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. So wherever you're, it's a fun fact, wherever you are, whether it's north, south, east, or west, if you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up to Jerusalem, and if you're going away from Jerusalem, you're going down. It's just kind of a kind of a thing of like it's not only geographical, but it kind of gives it like a like a like a special place in uh, in in their culture and their life, right? Fun fact. All right, when he was uh, he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes and beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. This is a bad day for Mr. Uh, for this man, right? This is this is not a good day. And as observers outside, we're seeing this man. He's lying on the floor. He's naked. He's bleeding. He's in pain. We don't know if he's conscious or unconscious. Whether he's groaning or moving. Whether there's blood everywhere. We don't know all those circumstances. But imagine, if you will, kind of worst case scenario for this man, right? And, 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 and not being able to be there and, and thinking, like, how, will somebody help this man? Right? Stirring that compassion in us, right? And a priest happened to be going down the same road. Right? So we get excited, right? Okay, someone's coming to help him. This priest, surely this priest is going to help. Surely this man is going to stop, right? When he saw the man, there was awareness. He passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, the Levites were uh, of, the cho of the people of Israel, there were 12 tribes, uh, and the Levites were one of those tribes, and they were set apart as a, a holy people. For They were the ones who served and worked in the temple, uh, and they were the ones who performed all the religious ceremonies and, and the worship to God. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, again, awareness, he passed by on the other side. He made an effort to walk away from and around this guy, right? Um, he passed by on the other side, right? There's, there, there was an energy. He, he, 
not didn't not only did he just kind of leave the guy alone but he invested energy into going around and avoiding this dude right leaving the leaving kind of the scenario right now these are the guys that are supposed to be helpful these are the culturally culturally these are the people that one would expect that they would stop and do something a, a, a priest Right, a, a minister of God, right? A Levite, a, a minister of, uh, in the temple, someone who was born and bred to uh, to serve in the service of God. These are the people that one would assume this, these guys are going to help. These guys are surely going to help. And they walked. They were aware, but they avoided. Now, oftentimes, people will give them, uh, will kind of put them off the hook. I hear this a lot that they were, because they were in the service of the, uh, of, of the Lord, right? That they, they probably had something to go. They had to go to the temple, and they had to serve, and they were busy. And there's this kind of like, well, let them off the hook because they were priests or because they were Levites. We assume that they were going to do some kind of service. Where actually, though, if we look, they're going away from Jerusalem back to Jericho. So they would have been done with their service. They would have been leaving. Leaving, essentially leaving church, not going to church. Now, Princeton actually did a study on this. They, gra- they got a group of people together. This is some years ago. Uh, and, and they got a group of seminarians from the Princeton Seminary together. And, uh, and they told them, okay, we want you to prepare a sermon uh, on, uh, or not a sermon, but like a short reflection on the Good Samaritan right, this passage, and, and they, they had them in one building, and, and in that time, they, like, asked them a lot of questions about, like, why they were involved in seminary, what drove them to that, and then they said, okay, um, you, uh, you have to go and, and speak, and do, it's time to present your, what you prepared, right, but it's in another building, and so for two, they, they, they separated the group into two, and for one group, they told them, um, they're expecting you now, and you're actually running a little bit late, you need to go, and, uh, and the other group, they told them, um, yeah, you still got a few more minutes, but you might as well leave now. And, so, and they set them up because in the middle from one building to the other, there was an alley that they had to cross through, and there was a man. They planted a man who was on the floor, and he was coughing and, and groaning and in, 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 in distress. And they wanted to see who was going to stop for him. And what they discovered was it had nothing to do with why they felt called to ministry or what they were, uh, uh, or why they were there. It really came down to those who felt like they had time. Ten percent, only ten percent, of uh, the men who uh, felt like they were rushed stopped to help this man, whereas sixty-three percent of those who felt that they had some time to kill uh, stopped to help this man. And I think that that's interesting because one of the things that our culture, uh, I think, values so much is productivity, right? And, 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 and efficiency and getting to where you got to be, right? And I think that this story should seep a little into that category and begin to kind of break apart some of that, uh, some of that uh, value system as to what matters most. At least I hope it does. So the Levite did nothing. The priest walked away, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, another man shows up. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. Now, let me, let me just, sorry, pausing a lot, but just to bring some clarification, because for us, when we say Samaritan, we, there's an adjective that goes before Samaritan, and it's the? 
good Samaritan, right? And so a Samaritan is like a positive thing. Like, oh, he's such a good Samaritan. That Rob, he just helped us out. Like, what a good Samaritan, right? And uh, just so that we know, Samaritan was a dirty, dirty, dirty word for uh, the, their context. It was the absolute opposite of a good thing. If you were a Samaritan, that was like the bottom of the totem pole. That was like worst of the worst, right? And so their categories and their hierarchy of who mattered, Samaritan were below Gentiles. And the reason for that was uh, a little history lesson, right? Israel, right? A people of Israel, we, we studied them last last series of people, right? Later on in their story, they, they, they have a civil war and they're divided into two. Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And Israel in the north is conquered by the Assyrians at uh, eventually. And the uh, south is conquered by the Babylonians. But the Assyrians, when they came in, they b- pretty much just butchered everyone. They murdered all the men. And they carried away all these people. But then what they did was, they also, not only did they carry them out, but they left, uh, they left the women of the men who had been mur- killed uh, systematically in very brutal ways. Uh, and then they brought in other, uh, they, they basically colonized, they brought in other men, and those men essentially raped these women and created, and, and created new families. And so those people became the Samaritans. And that group of people is this mixed group of people from the, the Assyrian nations that conquered them and the Jewish women who were uh, violated by them. And so this race of people, the, the Samaritans, r- was a constant reminder of, of that moment in their history and that pain of their history. And so they were always like pushed to the side and pushed away. And there was some deep animosity and hatred and anger and, 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 and fear and, and just, they were like polarized from each other, right? So when, when he says, when Jesus says, this Samaritan shows up, all of that was what was coming up uh, for this, uh, for these people. It wasn't uh, a fun thing that, they, that he was pulling it, uh, bringing into the story, right? And this Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, He took pity on him. Um, When we talk about uh, being a good neighbor, I think the first step is, it's got to be a heart check. There's got to be a heart response. It's the heart and it's the hand. But if the heart isn't there, the hand's not going to move. And so I think the first thing that needs to happen is there has to be a change in our heart. There has to be a compassion in our heart. He saw him. He was aware. He had the exact same uh, uh, awareness as the priest and the Levite, but there was a heart change. And because his heart changed, he had pity on him. He had compassion on him. And so instead of like the Levite and the priest who went away from him, he then, he went to him. And now the hand begins to take action. And what I'm going to call, I'm going to call this outrageous generosity. He expends an outrageous generosity for this man. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring out, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he put the man on his own donkey, self-sacrifice, like giving up of himself to then allow this man to ride. Took him to an inn and took care of him. There's, there's care for him. There's interruption from his life and his journey to care for this man. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, right? There's personal expense. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Not only, is, not only does he uh, help in the moment and uh, personally uh, use of his own money, but there's also long-term care. I'm going to come back this way, and if he needs more help, I'm still going to give it. There's a commitment to this man who's not of his nationality, who he owes nothing to, there's, there's nothing, else, there's nothing that, that we're given that would unite this Samaritan to this man other than it was a human being who needed help, and he helped him. And Jesus asks um, the expert of the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law Look what he says. He says, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. He couldn't even say it. That's how jarring it was for him. The man, the one who had mercy on him. And then this is what Jesus says. Go and do likewise. The key to bringing shalom, the key to being a good neighbor, it really just comes down to this. is doing something. There's a call for us to do something. I have a friend named Jesse, and, and, uh, and he's an atheist. And uh, what I've learned from Jesse is uh, when he says he's going to help with something, he doesn't, he doesn't have prayer to help. He doesn't ever say, well, I'll pray for you, because he doesn't believe in prayer. So he does something about it, right? He just, well, I'll make you a meal, or I'll do this, or I'll do that, right? And, and I think so much of the time, like how often when I see someone, I'm like, well, I'll pray for them. And, and that's, that's my help, right? That's what I'm going to do. And I'm not trying to be a little prayer, because prayer is powerful. Prayer moves mountains. Prayer does what's impossible. But I feel like sometimes we overcorrect ourselves then, and we say, well, I'll just pray, right? And when I think Christ is calling to, to his church and to us and to you and me is that we can't just be about prayer, but that doing something matters and that getting involved matters and that for us to be neighbors who love, there has to be an action. There, it can't just be the heart, but it also has to be the hand. And it's got to cost me something. It's got to interrupt my life. It's going to cost me money. That's mine. It's, and, and, but that's the gospel, because if the gospel doesn't transform and reorient how I think and how I speak and how I use my body and how I use my money and how I use my time, then what is the gospel good for? The gospel has to transform us. And what Jesus is saying here, that is it also has to bust out all the categories of, what we, uh, of who we put that we're bound to. Because who we are bound to as Christians to love is as deep and as extensive as the human, as all humans. It's everyone around us. It's the, the Dominican family that lives below us. It's, it's that old woman who's on the bus that I have to wait for to get, uh, so they lower the ramp and let her on. It's the, it's the man standing up to give his seat up 
for the woman. It's the noisy teenagers who are on the subway that you just hope will get off on the next stop. It's all of those people, and I do it too, and I work with teenagers. I'm like, oh, I'm not working right now, right? But it's all of them and more and more. And so my call for us is to break these categories. Um, and, and a big part of that is, number one, is stopping to look and, look and listen. Mr. Rogers, it's a lesson from him, is to look and listen. But not just to see, because the priest and the Levi were aware of him. They saw. It has to start with awareness. But it also has to start with heart. And you know what's actually really interesting is that verse in, uh, of loving your neighbor as, uh, as yourself. It comes in Leviticus, right, uh, 19. Well, several verses farther down, even though th- the one that he's quoting has a context to your people, it's connected to his own country, right? Several verses later, uh, verse 33 says this, When an alien or an immigrant lives with you in your land, do not mistreat them. The immigrant living with you must be treated as one of your own native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were immigrants and aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. From the beginning, see, this nationalism is not an American problem. It's a human problem. We all do this, and all throughout history, it's been a problem. And we are the solution. Christians are supposed to be the ones to bring that shalom. Um, so the charge for us this morning is go and do likewise. Not just with your heart, but also with your hand. Loving your neighbor is an action. It's about being aware. It's about seeing and doing something. And, and just to drive the nail home a little bit, long, a little bit more uh, is this... Uh, another verse that Jesus shared about the importance of action and the importance of doing, and that's in Matthew 25. And it's this moment where Jesus says, hey, the end, uh, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is going to be like this. There's going to be a day when there's going to be a reckoning, and it's going to look like this. God is going to separate his people from others. And it's going to be like the shepherd who, who separates the sheep from the goat. And this is what separates the sheep and the goats. He says, he says to the sheep, come into the kingdom I prepared for you. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the sheep are going to say, like, when, Lord, when did we see you do this? When, obviously we would have done this and we would have seen you. When did we see you do this? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. I hope that this blows up our categories right now of, uh, of, of who we are bound to. Because the least on that totem pole, the least on the one on the bottom of the list is included. And what you do for them matters just as much as if you were doing it for the Lord himself. And so serving a a meal to that homeless man or paying for the ride of someone who can't pay for themselves or an infinite amount of other 
options that you have for serving and caring for our fellow human. Whatever our categories have to be completely decimated because every single person matters and what you do to every single person matters. And so uh, to get us into that place, what, I, what we are doing as a church is we are going to step into uh, a challenge that is called, we're going to do the 40-day uh, uh, I Was a Stranger Challenge. And the heart and the hope behind this is that it will change your heart, right? That you would be sanctified by the truth, and the truth is the Word of God. And so we need the word of God to begin to wash over us and change us and transform us. And, and that's painful. It can be. But it's also this beautiful process. And so what the 40-day challenge is, is we have these, uh, these, uh, these bookmarks, and they have 40 scriptures on them. And the challenge is that every day we would spend, uh, we would invest time in reading these, wor- these verses and allowing that to transform who we are inside. That it would transform our heart so that w- our hands would follow in the way that we love. And um, so next week we're going to talk about getting to know your neighbor. Right? First step is let's get our heart right. Let's get our hands right. And then the next step is getting to know your neighbor. If we did a pop quiz right now and asked everybody to write down the name of everybody on your floor, how many of us would, how would we do on that? Kim, of course, Kim. In fact, I'm going to, Kim, come up here. Now, Kim, come on up. Butch, come on up here too. Come here. That was a perfect segue. I like that, yeah.